Blog Talk Radio. Hello, hockey fans. Welcome once again to the Vegas Hockey Podcast. I'm Mark Warner, along with Chris Lisa. We're throwing in a off-season news and notes episode. We said at the end of the season that we would keep everybody up to date if the Vegas Golden Knights made any additional moves after the free agency deadline. And this week they have made some noise. We're going to get into that uh, right away. And then we're going to go around the league. We're going to look at Ronnie Francis joining the NHL Seattle team. So it's going to be a great show. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. All right, hockey fans, we're in the dog days of summer, but we do have news to get to, so Chris and I decided it'd be a good time to throw out a little mid-off-season report. Uh, Chris, good day to you, sir. Good day to you, sir. Uh, Yeah, I think with the Ron Francis news and, uh, you know, the Vegas main news this week, uh, pop on, do a quick 30-minute show, and do give those two things justice. First of all, sir, I need to wish you a belated happy birthday. You had your birthday in the last week, and congratulations on a new gig there. It keeps you off the trains and out of the city, and uh, things seem to be going pretty good for you this summer, sir. Congratulations. It was, it was a good, thank you, buddy. It was a good week, and I go into my uh, new office, although it is temporary, and what's in the new office uh, hung up on the wall facing me as I sit down in front of my computer but a photo of the, you'll appreciate this, of the 1980 U.S. Uh, men's Olympic hockey team. Come on, man. They're all jumping up and down. Uh, I mean, I didn't put it there. I was there. You know what I mean? And That's uh, fantastic. So seconds after, and I was like, this is a good sign. So, yeah, uh, absolutely. First thing I say, but uh, thank you, sir. Thank you for the kind words. So, uh, absolutely. Yeah, so in terms of, and just jumping right in, in terms of the Clarkson trade, I've been trying to scan to the different people I'm connected with. What I want is an article of a long-term injury reserve and the salary cap for dummies. You know, give me the key five or six points, and no one seems to know them. Um, well, I got a little but, bit of insight on on that point because right, I've me. been trying to do a little bit of research, and here's here's what I came up with, and of course it's subject to me being wrong. <clears throat> but right. what I understand is during the off season, a, a team can exceed the salary cap by ten percent. So with the cap being Correct. at eighty one eighty one and a half uh, right now, teams can be somewhere in the ballpark of eighty nine million dollars. Um, once the season starts, if October they play, yep. A player who is placed on long-term injured reserve still has his salary cap count against the team, but the team can replace that player with a salary with a salaried player under contract equal to the amount of salary cap remaining on that player's contract. So if you're in Let's say you're in January and you have a guy that gets uh, an injury and he's going to miss, uh, I think it's 10 games or 30 days, and they put him on long-term injured reserve and he has a $5 million contract. Well, half of that cap hit's already taken away. So right. his remaining cap hit would 
be $2.5 million in this scenario. They can sign a free agent, trade for a player, or call up a player or players to replace that person as long as that accumulated cap hit doesn't exceed the $2.5 million left on injured player's salary. So how that would relate to David Clarkson and and Toronto, because this is a big point, Um, if they wait till the day after the regular season starts, they place uh, David Clarkson on long-term injured reserve. They they have to pay him his million-dollar salary this year, but his cap hit is still $5.25 million. So they can, in turn, use that money up to $5.25 million to A, sign Marner, or B, acquire other players, that, to, uh, including but, that. But that but that can't be until a day after October 3rd, correct? That's correct. That is correct. So, so, then so the rough that's there the, would be Mitch Marner then, if you did it that way and you upped your caps. Now, also, I've learned in reading Cap Friendly they're quoting saying if you go that route also, and we'll button this subject up in, in a minute, but if you go that route, it also severely restricts you on call-ups and makes them much more exposed to waiver situations. So, because if you've noticed in these last number of years, and everyone's had, you know, there's not everyone, but there's been a lot of these situations no, you they they are usually on part of that original cap to get under that ceiling. You know what I mean? Like this is not. I mean, Vegas could have just done this if they wanted to, theoretically, right? right? But they they opposed, They said this is better, and um, it's it's just kind of now. The only thing is, if Toronto does go that what route, because they also have Nathan Horton, but that would mean they wouldn't be able to sign Mitch Marner. So the day after the season starts, which let's say is October 4th, but that also, even if Marner's training on his own or whatnot, he would miss all of training, even, and even if they gave him the number he wanted and everyone's happy come October 4th. But the result of that would be he would miss all of training camp. He wouldn't be, right? He would... Uh, well, see, uh, how, how they a- could get away with it is they could plan on doing that, but then right. use the off-season 10% to exceed the $81.5 million salary cap by around $8.5, $9 million, which um, is a couple million below what Marner wants, but might end up being a happy medium. And then mm-hmm. they would in turn have to place some players on waivers because you have to be under the hard cap on opening night. So you're right, going to have right. to do some fancy machinations. Yeah. You could – um, right. And I don't know how this relates. I, I was looking at this. You could place a couple players on uh, rehabilitation training assignments, which would not expose those players to waivers going down to the minor leagues up to two weeks. And I don't know if those players' salary caps still would count against the cap if they're going down to the minor leagues in an emergency situation. That's the part that I couldn't get to. But right. there are there are finaglings that you could do with the CBA that could mathematically put you on under that hard cap until the day after when Horton and Clarkson go on LTIR and then gotcha. bring those players back up and now you can exceed the calorie salary cap by the combined salaries of Horton and Marner. So, I mean, so th- it, it is complicated, but so, it, it's 
then so what what my question to you is and we talked about this quite a bit is that um there was precedent set where someone had to take a first round pick and ship it along with some salary. And in this case, Vegas only had to package a fourth round pick and they got a, a goalie to replace uh, the say in the system. It, do you, is that a good deal for George McPhee? See, the difference, you're referring to Patrick Marlowe. And you Correct. say, one you could say, well, wait a minute, why did Toronto have to trade a first round pick next year? to get rid of Marlowe, and Vegas could trade Clarkson and a fourth, and and Vegas can get out of their salary cap, and Toronto with Marlowe had to pay a steep price. It's very simple. David Clarkson can't play. He's injured. He, he His career is over. He's physically unable to play. Patrick Correct. Marlowe isn't. Patrick Marlowe can't go on LTIR. So you can't do any machinations or finagling, whatever you want to call it, uh, loopholes, whatever you want to call it. Let's say it's not even a loophole. But that option wasn't available to Patrick Marlowe because he was healthy. And buying okay. him out didn't solve any problems for Toronto. So that's, that's why the Vegas price to get rid of Clarkson, because his flexibility in these kind of moves, if you will, uh, was so much less, per se, uh, than, than Patrick Marlowe. So I'll, I'll say two things uh, about this. Uh, one, Mitch Marner is going to want his money, so um, yep. he's going to want the Matthews contract. Uh, so we'll we'll see how that All plays out. We talked about right. that. Yeah, and I don't blame him. Uh, from a Vegas standpoint, for Kenny to tell everything we just talked about, it works. You know, he's uh, that right. cap hit is gone. They don't have to worry about moving him and all this. They're now a million dollars under the cap. Now, they still have Gusev unsigned, and they still have the, the young defenseman, I believe, unsigned, right? Jimmy, uh, Jimmy Schultz, Jimmy, Chloe Baker, finally. Jimmy Schultz, right? Yeah. Right. So, to get now. Which he's got to take, he's got to take a, uh, a rook, uh, minimum contract, I would imagine. Um, I would imagine. He only played one which, game which in the they, NHL, and which that which would eat up right most at, of their million right. dollars that they're under the cap. Right. Now, Gusev. They would like to keep. They have offered him a contract at two million annually, which, by the way, would put them over. Jimmy Schultz aside, would put them over the cap, uh, so they would still have to make another move. Uh, right. But now at least they're operating under the cap. I, I don't know what's gonna. I mean, I, I'm at this point for Gusev. Um, you would think that if someone was gonna, I, I, from what you heard or read, or the rumor mill of the insiders, if you will. People were saying that Vegas just wants, they want a second-round pick, and they want some kind of decent prospect, which doesn't sound like a high bar. But no one, right. and, and with so many teams looking for scoring, but no one's no one's bidding on that. No, no one's bid on that. And, um, you know, then I was reading that Gusev wants to stay in Vegas, but he also wants the full million annually, so then... Then you got to wonder, well, what does that mean? Does that mean if another team trades for him and he doesn't like that market, he's not going? I, I don't know. We'll have to see how – I mean, at the end of the day, Vegas could say, look, we tried to sign him. It didn't work. And he's going to play next year in the KHL. I don't know what the long-term effects of that are in terms of how much longer they have his rights. But, you know, this is an un, a, a talented but undersized – a talented, skilled player but undersized and unproven. So I'm not going to go too crazy if Vegas can't get him signed 
and they wind up trading him for the best deal they can get, he can get, or if they feel the best move for them is for him to go to the KHL, and we'll see what happens down the road. I'm not, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't be worrying about it. This, you know, therefore where they are with their forward units in terms of their top four lines, they're in good shape. Well, the I don't know if you saw a report this week. It, uh, Gusev has a Russian agent and an, a North American yep. agent. And okay. the Russian agent came out this week and said basically that uh, if Vegas doesn't get something done, either signing or trading him by a, a certain date, which he didn't say when that date was. He just said there's a deadline. Right. Then he'll be forced to start negotiating with KHL teams um, for the – for the upcoming season. So there's some well, sort of ar- arbitrary deadline thrown out and, it, and it's from his Russian agent, which doesn't have any say about what happens in North America. Look, I don't think, and we've talked about this before. Um, George McPhee doesn't have to do anything with the player yesterday. He doesn't have to do anything with the player tomorrow. If he still has communications and, and we don't really know whether there has been a second round pick and a, a prospect that kind of intrigued George McPhee on the table for him or not. Um, George McPhee and the Golden Knights are notoriously tight lipped when it comes to stuff like that. So there could be a couple offers on the table, but McPhee right. is sitting there holding his cards. Communication with the player's agent is open there. He, I, I, my guess would be, is that George McPhee wants to get him under three. He wants four. Knights want two. The natural landing spot is somewhere around three. If he can get that player to take, and maybe he has to give him a third year to get a 2.75 an, annual value average out of, out of Gusev. If, you know, normal North American negotiating tactics. Um, right. And, and McPhee can't afford to be patient in this situation and, and keep communication open and give and take, maybe add term to lower the dollar amount. We've seen George McPhee do that, um, specifically most recently with William Carlson, where he gave him the full eight years and he was able to get him down to a five point. Put this in perspective. William freaking Carlson signed for $5.9 yeah. million dollars, and Gusev is trying to get four. So uh, George right. McPhee's not going to do that for any number of reasons. He's not – you have, you have Smith and Marsh for show at $5 million. You're going to put this untested, undersized kid who admittedly has all the skill in the world, broke records in the KHL, MVP, took more – you know, we've gone through his resume ad nauseum. Um, He's not going to tell everybody else on that roster making less than $4 million that he values this Gusev kid more than them. It's a respect thing for the guys that have been with this team uh, from the start and how hard they've worked and what they've been able to accomplish. If he can slot him in somewhere around 2.753, that puts him under Ryan Reeves. It puts him under, uh, you know, the, the, the core of the team. And I, he's not going to – bring that into this locker room. This locker room's too close and too night t- night tit. <laughs> Sorry. Uh tight knit to bring that kind of stigma into the locker room. And if not, he he can't, you know, we we've seen George send him back to Russia <laughs> before. This isn't a, a new script. Right. We're just on act 2 of it. So I that that's where well, I think this thing is and it can wait to be decided if he can get him under 2.75, then you can shed a little bit of salary, make another move. Um, and, and, and well, go ahead and play the player. 
what will be interesting to wrap this up and then jump into Ron Francis is is if they do get Gusev signed for in the neighborhood you're talking about, which makes sense, and they get Schultz signed to around a million a year, they're going to be a couple million over the cap, so they're going to have to make a move. They still have Cody. You know, we all assumed that Cody Eakin was going to be gone. You know, mm-hmm. but they but they would still have to make a move. Um, uh, to get under the cap by a couple million dollars or so. So that's that's another piece of this whole puzzle. You would think to get those guys signed, they would ha- want that last piece of the puzzle also kind of in play. So I, I don't know how that all plays out. But um, well, uh, let's one thing on that. I, I, think, I think that moving the Clarkson salary is important in that respect to where you can accomplish the salary cap with one move as opposed to what it was before when you were talking about a combination of Eakin, Reeves, uh, Holden. Right. uh, And you were going to have to move two or three players off your roster. This, this simplifies things really. You can make this deal work. Um, Holden's at 2.2 million. Right. That's an option kind of an option you could do a combination of Holden and Merrill but I don't think they want two of the rookies on the blue line I think they want to let somebody cook and you could see White Cloud or um, Haig making one of the two is going to make the team in camp so then you let the other guy cook a little bit you're not going to want to be a Stanley Cup contender with two rookies on your blue line but the Clarkson deal simplifies things for George McPhee if in fact he is going to be able to get a contract done and if not it gives him leverage he can go ahead and sign Jay Schultz and um, go right into the season get the best offer Gusev or let him go back to the KHL so the, the, the important part of the Clarkson deal is that it simplifies things as far as what moves you have to make to get down to the salary cap. Okay, so it's uh, so the interesting, the Ron Francis thing, I was late to the party. I, I actually saw it in the newspaper, I think, the day after or so, the last wow, couple of weeks. Of it, it had been kind of crazy for me, um, uh, which you mentioned before. But um, So I saw that, I was like, oh, wow, and I'm like, you know what? That's a home run. I mean, here's the, in my opinion, Absolutely. here's a seasoned GM. Okay, kind of. You know, I I I call this kind of a little bit of the McPhee effect. I think Seattle saw that they Vegas put in a yeah seasoned hand. Uh, they actually look a little alike too. If you think about put <laughs> in a season, Vegas put in a seasoned hand uh, to help guide that started their franchise. Ron Francis, who was you know Hall of Fame player. Uh, so he knows what it takes to win on the ice. Uh, he did, you know, an excellent job under very difficult circumstances with Carolina. I mean, out of the, if you look at the Carolina roster outside, before the um, Calgary trade uh, last summer with Dougie Hamilton, because that wasn't Ron Francis, but if you look at the core of that team, the young core of that team on the main roster, and then you look at their pipeline, which is, just as talented as almost anyone else is in the sport. That's all Ron Francis. Um, yes, sir. He, he did all that. So, um, you know, obviously he's going to have a lot less certain kind of issues in Seattle that he did in Carolina. Um, and I think they're in great hands. Now, having said that, I think it's going to, I actually, I think it's going to be a bigger challenge for Seattle expansion drafts 
than it was for Vegas. Not that it was easy for Vegas, and Vegas hit a home run. But they, but but um, Seattle, you know, everyone's going to learn from their mistakes from the first from the expansion draft with Vegas. So if you're Minnesota and you wind up giving up Halla and Tuck, or you're Columbus and you wind up uh, moving down in the first round of that draft and give up future or other teams to give up future draft picks. Um, there's a, a couple other teams I'm thinking that escaping me that really gave Tampa up Bay an awful lot. And Win- Florida. Tampa Bay, Winnipeg gave up. Uh, they Vegas was able to flip picks, right, with Winnipeg. So they went from, yeah. I think, the Columbus pick at 24 to the 12th pick or 13th pick, which turned out uh, wound up being Nick Suzuki. Um, Correct. So, but, so, one, not only are those teams – who are going to learn from their mistakes before from the standpoint of, uh, especially if you're Minnesota, you know what? We're going to lose, we might lose a good player, but we're losing one. Or Florida is another one. We're losing one. We're not losing two good players, okay? Um, and um, and not only them, but everyone around the league. Everyone around the league is going to be like, you know, when negotiations, and uh, not this coming spring, but the following springs start, and if you're whoever, the Devils, the Rangers, the Islanders, and Ron Francis is talking to you, you're like, whoa, wait a minute. This sounds like the road that Florida and Minnesota went down. And I saw how well that worked out for them in the last expansion. So I think I think there are going to be greater challenges. Obviously, it's too, way too early to tell, comparing the quality of the expansion list from uh, Seattle's year compared to Vegas. Obviously, Vegas did a great job. But, you know, let's face it, certain things fell that way. So – I think they have a, a much a bigger challenge, but they got the right guy to do it. That being said, and it just occurred to me while you were talking there that uh, if if teams are going to just toe the line and say, yeah, we're, we might be losing a good player, but we're only losing one, is it possible that Francis can put together a better initial roster just based off the expansion list than Vegas was able to, because remember before, before the inaugural season, Vegas was picked last and picked last with a bullet. They were, I mean, Colorado was coming off what a 46 point year, if I remember correctly. And people thought Vegas would be worse than that. Um, all, all yeah, the, I don't they, know. You, you, you gotta remember they, they, they were going to have more country flirting goal. You know what I mean? They had a, they yeah. was one of the best goalies in the league. Vegas did going into the season. I mean, I'm not saying they, you know, like you said, expectations were low. Even the odds makers, what do they say, 69 points or something along those lines, if memory serves correct? Yeah. But, you know, they still, they still, and even though no one had any idea that William Carlson would become what he did, everyone knew that he was a, a really good young third-line player who can help you in a lot of ways. Now, obviously, he developed into a, a first-line player, a top-six player at the worst. But my point being is, and they had James Neal and David Perron. So, uh, you know, Vegas uh, did have some good players on that team, and specifically with Marc-Andre Fleury, and having the goaltender um, like that. So I, we'll have to see how, how, you know, obviously for an expansion team, a uh, big key will be, you know, how are they going to look in goal, what are, they gonna be, what are their options going to be there, so... Uh, but like I said, I, I think it, I think it was a home run. Yeah, um, and, and you talked about how well he did uh, 
really stabilizing the Carolina franchise and and putting the pieces in place for the the Eastern Conference final run that they went on this season. Um, but but remember, uh, and, and you know how I am about uh, Stanley Cup champion experience in an organization, sir. Um, he won two Stanley Cups with Pittsburgh in the 90s, four-time All-Star. And a lot of people might overlook uh, Ron Francis, but, and I, I forgot this as well, man, we're doing research for the show today. Um, when he wrapped up his career, he was fifth on the all time scoring list. And, and when you're on any list with Gretzky, Yager, Messier and how you're, you're something special, man. And, uh, obviously 2007, um, 12, 12 years of experience in the front office and, and, and stabilizing a franchise that a lot of people had pegged for a relocation, um, not in the too far distant past. There's a lot of Carolina to Quebec rumors going on, um, and really stabilized that franchise in that city. So, um, great pay on the ice, uh, proven effective leadership in in the front office. Once Kelly McCrimmon was the official general manager title here in Las Vegas, um, that had to make the short list even shorter and for, for to get a, a guy of, of Ron Francis's character and experience um, both on and off the ice is uh, I agree a home run for Seattle. It's just, it, it, it's going to be real interesting to see the roster a that he puts together. Um, he's going to be hiring a coach at the end of the season who they get to be behind the bench and the staff that they use uh, for that coach's assistance and, and what they, you know, what their concept of expansion is and, and compare and contrast it with um, Vegas bringing in Gallant and, and the experienced coach instead of maybe the young up and coming college guy or, you know, that, those, those kind of questions and it'll be really interesting to see if he taps back into you know relationships that Ron Francis has made over the years and give somebody who's been an assistant that he's played or worked with in the past uh, a chance to run that franchise from behind the bench or whether you know we don't know who's on the hot seat and who's going to be available from the established NHL head coaching ranks at the end of this coming season and whether because re- remember that it came out when they Vegas hired Gerard Gallant that their first interview had been in February of that year and things went really well. And that was pretty much George McPhee's decision way before it became public that uh, they were just going to wait till the end of the year and, and bring Gallant in and to announce things officially. So that, that, I mean, that's the next step for the franchise, right? Is, is, is see who they bring in to run things on the ice. And that's, that's what I want to see what Ron Francis does first. And obviously second is, is what their philosophy is building out the roster. Do they go with established players or, or a mix or a lot of young Alex Tuck types, William Carlson types where they might have been locked in a, in a depth chart situation where they had to get exposed, but the didn't really want to lose them. Team isn't willing to, to, uh, go through all the sacrifices that teams went through with Vegas and okay, fine. Just take the player. Um, a, a lot of, a lot of stuff to see, but the, I, I would imagine the next thing we're going to see at the end of the coming season is head coach. And, and that's w- where I think we'll get a real good idea of where this franchise is headed with their philosophy. 
But one last thing, too, about Ron Francis, what I said before about the core he built, both with the team on the NHL roster right now and, and the talented kids they have coming. Keep in mind, he had to operate that team due to the financial difficulties that they've had and the numerous ownerships as a, as a cap floor team. He's not going to have that issue in Seattle. Um, so uh, I, I think the best, yeah, I, I think the best the best way to go is some kind of mix. You know, you don't want to have a bunch of kids out there. You want some veterans on in that group that can help show them the way in the beginning, if you will. And then, and then, you know, not for nothing. And then, at, you know, they, those then those veterans could be traded. That's you know that season uh, at the deadline and pick up some draft capital, which you're going to need to build this franchise for years to come. So, um, you know, I mean, I mean, that was the original. Yeah, that was the original plan exactly. with those guys was help, help build the foundation, help be a competitive team in year one, uh, help the young guys, and then no. come the trade deadline. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll sell them for as many prospects and picks as we can get. And, you know, some, you know, obviously <laughs> that plan went out the window. No one could have expected, but, um, uh, that, I think that's a, I think that that's a, the right plan. So they got the right guy. It'll be interesting because they don't start for another two years, right? So we have next year and, uh, and then the year after, right? They don't start to October of, uh, 2021, right? Right, October of 2021. So expan- the expansion drafts is not next June. It's the following uh, That's right. So, so everything I just said about the coach, push that back a season. <laughs> yeah, I would think, I would think, you know, unless there's a guy out there that are absolutely loved that becomes available and they don't want to lose out on him, be it a young coach, a, a seasoned coach, or whoever it may be, you know, may, um, um, but you know, he'll, the, the next step for him is going to be, you know, build the staff, and uh, uh, I'm sure that's uh, build the staff, and you know, then build a, yeah, a whiteboard sure. uh, game plan. You know, so uh, like I said, good, good first move for Seattle, and uh, you know, now uh, the next big things we're waiting for them, although it's going to probably take a little bit of time, is the coach, and what are they going to be called? <laughs> Uh, same questions that the Knights went through. Yeah. Absolutely. I hope their unveiling goes a little bit better than the Golden Knights did. Remember when they threw the video up and released all the confetti and the, the screen and the PowerPoint said NHL placeholders because someone forgot to input the logo. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 Let's, so, let's hope uh, we don't get the Seattle placeholders. Yeah, I would I would I would agree on that one. So uh, and then real quick, right, so one more we, one more bit yeah. of news this week because uh, because we just brought him up. James Neal and Milan Lucic trading homes um, from Calgary to Edmonton. James Neal goes to Edmonton. Milan Lucic goes to Calgary. Um, both players kind of need a change of scenery. I think Lucic can bring a little bit something that Calgary. I mean. Uh, Forget about the contracts. It's it, the six million dollars for Lucic was absurd, and and at the time I was like, okay, if you don't want to sign with the Kings, then please don't give him six million dollars because that's going to be an albatross. Um, so contracts aside, um, it's almost a, a one for one swap. I think Neil's at five point eight five or some some real close to that. Something like um, that. Yeah. 
I think Lucic gives Calgary a little compliment to to the grit and and borderline play. I'll say that Kachuk brings, and if James Neal can somehow fit in that top six in Edmonton, he and goes back to a twenty twenty five goal score guy. Um, who who do you think has a better impact if both those scenarios play out? Yeah, I think it's a wait and see. The one thing I will say is. It, it was it was just last not this past season, but it wasn't that long ago that James Neal had a heck of a year. He's only he's only had one bad year yeah. in a row, whereas uh, or one yeah one really bad year in a row, one bad year uh, uh, in his career. Of his contract, really, yeah, yeah. Um, whereas Lucic has been really struggling for for a little while. So if yeah. you look at it from that that viewpoint. Um, but I, I think you're right. I think it is a change of scenery um, uh, with those two guys. Um, I think it should be a warning for teams on July 1st moving forward in terms of, you know, especially guys around 30, if you will. Um, so uh, something to keep in mind. But, um, but look, yeah, I, I think um, – Calgary, I think Calgary could benefit from Lucha's leadership. He knows he, he's a Stanley Cup winner. He knows he, he knows what it takes for winning hockey. And Edmonton could use some more scoring after McDavid and uh, Mr. Dreisaitl. So, right. you know, maybe a fresh start. Um, I think it could, it could work out for both. I, I, I don't see the downside, you know, because it, it clearly wasn't working with either guy. In their right. former places. So if it doesn't work, you know, it's not like, it's still oh, not why don't we do that? <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> well, the one thing I'll say, too, oh is, my God. is uh, if, if you look at it like that, I think that Milan Lucic, where his value to Calgary will become evident, is in the playoffs. We all think Calgary is going to be a playoff team again. They had a great season last season and really fell flat and in, in, in not advancing. Um it, it when they get to playoff time and that style of hockey um, intensifies, I, I think that's where the Calgary Flames have to be hoping that Milan Lucic's contributions um, will be felt most with the franchise. As long as look, as long as Calgary fans understand that Lucic's never going to score 30 goals again, he's never going to score 20 goals again. But if he can pitch in with 10 to 12 and Yep, 10, 15 assists from that, from that, and you know, split his time between third, fourth line, maybe kill some penalties. Um, that's all you're going to get out of him in the regular season. They need to get back into the playoffs to actually fully assess the value that Milan Lucic can bring to that franchise. That's where his leadership and his physicality, and it, you know, he's never been shy about sticking up for his teammates. So there's not going to be any rigmarole. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, targeting Goudreau or whatever. Um, and then James Neal's value would be more felt in the regular season, helping Edmonton get back to the playoffs and, and help them win more games in the regular season when there's a lot more ice and, and James Neal's able to find a spot on the ice and pick his corners in the net because he still has a great shot. At least last we saw in Vegas, um, he's, he's still really accurate. He still has really good hands. Um, and, and so that 
that's kind of what stood out to me about that trade is that Edmonton got someone that can help them be successful in the regular season and get to the next level. Um, And Calgary got somebody who's probably going to make his, you know, value to the franchise evident when they do get back to the playoffs. And I expect them to be a playoff team uh, in this coming season. So that, that's what I take away from that trade. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, uh, everything you just said. So, uh, so we, you know, we'll, unless something dramatic happens, our next show will be mid September and uh, we have our preview shows coming up. We already have, I don't know what order we're going to do them in, uh, but we already have Dan Harrigan for the Atlantic. We have Mark Scheig for the Metro, and we have uh, uh, JD Styles for the Pacific. So we're still working to lock down our central guests. But uh, uh, with that, I can report we have our preview shows, which is usually about four weeks out from opening day. So it might be a little bit before late. the 15th. We'll plan all that. Yeah, late August. Plan all or, that out. Late August, first week of September. We'll we'll get it figured out, but uh, yeah, definitely always look forward to those. You get to familiarize yourself with the rosters and some of the deals that went yep. down that maybe flew under the radar when you're looking at each team, and always always a good time, and, and the guests that we always have are uh, really specific to those divisions, and they're right on top of, of what's going on, so their insight's always great as well. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, looking forward to it. It's going to be an, another interesting interesting season, to say the least. And, uh, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a, an exciting one. And, look, clearly, uh, I'll just leave you with, you know, Vegas is, you know, clearly one. I mean, I don't – I mean, they're as good as anybody in the division, which is amazing. The position that no. they – and I get it. The Pacific is not – you know, clearly, I mean, I think you could say right now – the Central's the, the, the toughest, I would say, with the Metro a close second. Atlantic is top-heavy, but getting better. I, I think the Pacific, so they're, they they fought, fell in the right division. Uh, but, you know, these other teams will be interested to see if they take a step forward this year. But uh, it's amazing the, the place they occupy right now, Vegas does, in terms of their franchise with, again, what they have on the ice and what they have coming this quickly. It's amazing. Yeah, and and uh, it's quite a measuring stick for, for Ron Francis. And, uh, well, well, you know, time's going to tell about how, you know, everyone knows that George McPhee and, and, and Bill Foley and the, and the staff did a fantastic job. I think it's going to look even more fantastic when Seattle's first season is in the rearview mirror and you can kind of compare and contrast how the two franchises did. Um, I don't think we know the well, full first, effect. You got to see that of, list though. I, 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 I yeah. remember the Vegas list and I, I remember there was some good nuggets in there. I wasn't like, I didn't I remember. Uh, I wasn't blown away. Thinking to myself. No, no, but I didn't, I remember thinking to myself, Oh boy, this is you know, there's nothing here. This is like a desert. Uh, you know, like we kind of <laughs> knew. You know, we kind of felt strongly that he, between Flurry and Ben Bishop, they were going to wind yeah. up with one of them. You know, so that's 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 a big key. You know, if you start from that premise, if you're Seattle, who's going to be our goalie? You know what I mean? Uh, what kind of uh, that, that that that's going to be a that's going to be a biggie. So um, right. Uh, but yeah, I I, I clearly. Uh, uh, McPhee, McCrimmon, the whole gang 
did an amazing job and then accumulated a ton of draft picks, not even just for that year, for the years to come. And you, you saw it this past year with the extra picks. Yeah. And they have picks. Uh, Still cashing in on next that. year. Yep. Yeah, yeah, they have picks in for coming up in the 2020 draft that I think are associated. Like, I think they have three second-round picks right now. I'm sure some of those have to do with those trades. So, um, yeah, they got they got their work cut out for them, but they're in good hands. They're yep. in great hands. And four. Well, well, bud, it's good to talk to you again. If uh, Gusev yep. signs or is traded or if anything else goes on yep. with Jimmy Schultz or a- anything else to do with the Vegas Golden Knights or there's any real breaking news across the NHL, we will come back and, and uh, bring everybody up to speed on, on what was going down. Uh, be looking for our preview episodes coming late August, early September. And until then, for Chris on Mark, thanks for joining us for our mid off-season news and notes show and we'll be back at you soon for Chris on Mark. We're gone.